Welcome to a semi-live edition of the Horror Honeys podcast. We're at the DePaul Slashers Conference in Chicago. I am here on my own, sans any other honeys, but I have some awesome guests with me, which is really exciting. I'm going to let them introduce themselves so everybody can meet them. Hi, my name is Michelle Mastro. I'm a graduate student at uh, Indiana University Bloomington, where I study Gothic literature and the Victorian Gothic and really horror narratives in general. Um, so, yeah. Nice. I'm Mary Kay McBrayer. I'm from Atlanta, if you didn't already hear that crazy drawl that comes out a lot uh, when I'm self-conscious, which is like now. Um, I teach composition and literature, and um, I do mostly creative writing. And uh, just recently started a podcast with two of my best friends, um, one of whom is a behavioral therapist. One of them is studied film and directing, and we like to talk about um elements of the horrific in different types of movies not even all of them are horror movies but it's called everything trying to kill you so if you think i have some funny or insightful stuff on here love for you to listen to it nice (laughs) thank you for letting me plug that shamelessly i'm done of course plug away (laughs) anytime you want we welcome it thank you so we're here today to discuss final girls this is a slasher conference and what else would we talk about we're we're ladies we love final girls even when they make us angry uh so we're going to kind of cover the history the perception of them what they've done in horror how they've gotten better how they've gotten worse just gonna kind of vamp it up talk about whatever we want and we're gonna have a guest uh coming later assuming she makes it we're really excited to have her uh so i will introduce her when she shows up so to kick things off we're just gonna kind of cover the kind of standard idea of the final girl which is most commonly represented in somebody like laurie strode nancy thompson somebody that's virginal bookish kind of doesn't engage in all the shenanigans her friends does she likes to keep things mellow she doesn't get involved in trouble and as a result she's usually the one to watch all of her friends die Mm -hmm. She doesn't become a badass until she has to. A lot of times her intelligence helps her out in the long run, but perhaps in the short run, the fact that she's a little more naive than everyone else serves as a problem for her. Uh, we know a lot of the common original ones. I already covered a few of them. So I, want, I was hoping everybody could kind of talk about what is your definition of a final girl and does it differ from the original in any way? Want me to go? Okay. Um, I, everything that you said, I was like, yes, that's what I have in my head when I picture yeah. a final girl. Also, um, she to me, she she usually looks like younger, mm-hmm. like than many of the other characters. She's not always, but a lot of times, blonde and and very innocent. So she like has the physical appearance of being naive, right. even if like she's she's smart, like but not it doesn't apply. Until the end, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, and then also, I feel like usually when I'm watching a final girl on screen, I just want to like shake her and be like, you're doing like, pay attention. Like, this is what you need to be paying attention to. You're looking at the wrong things. Um, or just saying in general, like uh, just being frustrated mm-hmm. in general. Like we know something that she doesn't, that she should know. Right. So I don't know That's if that's like part of the definition, but that's been my experience of her. Yeah. 
No, that's fair. Definitely. Uh, To that, I would like to add um, probably two uh, conventions of the final girl uh, character, right? One, she's very uh, vigilant, very observant, probably Mm -hmm. more than her peers are. Uh, We see that with Laurie Strode in uh, 1978's um, Halloween, right? She seems to uh, register uh, Michael Myers' uh, presence uh, more than her friends do. Um, But also, I think the final girl is... um, also like a victim hero. She's uh, constantly, um, you know, uh, harassed by the masked murderer and, and he, you know, he's always pursuing her. Um, and to these main uh, conventions, I would also add, there seems to be um, this, I don't know, I would say gothic inspiration uh, behind the final girl where she has these uh, interesting, um, usually vexed relationships with her parents, most no- mm-hmm. typically her mother. Um, we see that with uh, Scream's Sydney Prescott where she kind of the whole uh, series she's trying to reconnect with her mother um, and then eventually like abject or disconnect from the mother and there's kind of this element of um, metrophobia which I think kind of stems from the the gothic of the 18th century yeah absolutely and you know that kind of brings up a good point like I'm thinking back and Nancy Thompson from Nightmare on Elm Street has a very strained relationship especially with her mother I don't think we ever see Laurie Strode's mother no we get a we get a quick glance at her father isn't he the real estate agent or do we ever see him or does she just talk about him well I think in the first one we see her friend's parent who's uh, a police officer. Right. Um, but typically parents are, and, and parental figures in general, are curiously absent right. um, from many of the original slasher films. It's not until, I think, like you pointed out, uh, Nancy's character, where she has this really uh, contentious relationship with her mother, who ends up you know, putting bars on the house and like mm. locking her into the home. And uh, Nancy... You know, turns the tables and and um, kind of home alone styles, right? <laughs> and um, uh, attacks Freddie using her house, using the terrible place to um, mm-hmm. uh, um, take down Freddie. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, our third guest just showed up, so I'm going to give her a chance to introduce herself. Hello, apologies for being late. Um, I'm Ashley, and I run the website Graveyard Shift Sisters, which yeah. is a web resource that focuses on women of color in horror and science fiction. It's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. We're so excited Thank you. to be here. Um, so we kind of covered the traits that we see among final girls that are really common. You know, the the final girl, as we know her, began in the 70s and really took hold in the 80s. What are what do you pinpoint as some of those era politics that really launched that final girl? And this may be a silly question, but why do we think they endure to this day? Like what? What stranglehold do those politics have on us that makes the final girl such an appealing character in horror film? Well, um, in 1978, uh, some, you know, um, troubled time and the, I don't know, I guess the Jim Jones cult. 1978 uh, civil rights movement, political assassinations from the 60s, 70s, the Manson family murders uh, from 1968 to 1969. Uh, so I feel like that era was about, you know, fears of a societal breakdown. And, um, you know, the film that I think of, the one that quickly comes to mind is um, 
like uh, I guess George A. Romero's uh, Dawn of the Dead, also mm-hmm. in 1978, and um, it's about right the society, you know, I guess you know here literally, but uh, consuming itself, uh, breaking down, um, attacking the home. Um, right, it sent the the whole film centers around um, an African American uh, protagonist who's you know fending off the. I guess all these these zombies. Um, so, I think in response to your question, um, it's really about these fears of a societal breakdown that seem to kind of linger and, and play themselves out in these interesting and odd ways in more recent slasher films. Mm-hmm. Ashley, you want to pick up? Thank you, so, I hope I'm answering this question correctly. Sure. Um, I kind of I've kind of seen um, Final Girls as resonant because of not necessarily because of the. Way women's movement I think it just as just looking at the optics of it especially for younger women during the time and kind of seeing females in these central in these central roles kind of fighting back more or less and I think that's what resonate re- resonated with a generation of women specifically and even men too being able to identify with um, a female like a, a, a female heroine and I think that was really important I think that's why it's kind of trickled and I think the bigger movies like you know Nightmare on Elm Street and Halloween things of those in those movies because they're just so good in, in all aspects technically and also in directing and acting people tend to like use those as really um, great templates because they are because what however you subjectively feel about those characters or not they brought um i feel like oh my god i'm blanking on her name but like heather lankenkamp and uh jamie lee curtis really they brought something to they brought something to that role they brought some they brought themselves but they also brought this kind of strength like you know any kind of visceral emotion that they were having, you kind of felt it. And I think that has really, even in the cheesiest slasher films, it kind of, you you know, you're going to find an audience for, or a person who's going to identify. For example, I went to Salem Horror Fest, uh, last year and Kevin the festival runner you know randomly just had um, Friday the 13th part 7 the new blood as on the on the roster and I'm, and I'm just thinking to myself why would you pick part 7 in this franchise but for him Kevin you know as like as a young gay boy growing up like I really identified with Tina like I there was something about her that hmm. really stuck with me so I, I it's it's not I don't think you know think talking about final girls is, is an exact science it really is about like what, how, what does that character mean to you? Absolutely. Um, wasn't this also, and I might be getting my timeline mixed up, but like this is when all of the serial killers that were gunning for girls of this age were out, right? Like Bundy and Kemper and yeah. Speck and all of them. Yeah. And so yeah, I'm wondering if like yeah. that manifests in film because what, that's what girls were scared of at that time. I mean, not that we're not anymore. No, I mean, like, it's, it's, it's still a, a very real fear. Right. It's an but, adoring fear. I think that, right. that the idea of the slasher, especially targeting women, because again, we discussed this earlier in the, the final girl panel, that when you see a movie like this with, with predominantly women, even when there are men, their deaths are relatively short or mm-hmm. not as intense as the women and the way that they're dragged out or, or violent. The violence against the women 
is a lot more intense. And they're hunted. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So especially, like, of course, the, the scene that comes to mind immediately is the Michael Myers scene in the bushes where he's watching the two girls walking home from school. So there, there's definitely an element of that fear of being a woman and constantly being watched, being stalked, always having to be on your guard. And I think that definitely is an influence mm-hmm. on a lot of slasher films, which it leads into a, a question that I've, I've always had about women in horror. Are they in inherently disposable. You you see final girls often making it to the end, but again, we talked about this earlier, how they're psychologically damaged, tortured. They Just because they survive doesn't mean they're fine. Like the, the iconic image of Sally Hardesty in the back of a truck at the end of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, that girl's not fine. She is, she is messed up. That is a girl that has been destroyed. Yeah. So what... What is this just a side effect of being a woman in horror? Are you inherently there to be disposable or are our final girls meant to be revered? Is there a balance? Yeah, that's such an awesome. Yeah, point. And I is. really wish I, I lost touch with this scholar and I don't even know because she was having I think she was having trouble with her department trying to bring it together. But she was working on a really, really great engaging essay about this idea of is the final girl really empowered? Because she, and I think she used Sydney from Scream as an example. I'm like, she goes she endures over and over mm-hmm. and over again. The stalker trying to kill her. I'm like, how much can one person take? Right. And she that's the way she was kind of looking at it. She didn't. She doesn't think. She didn't think final girls were empowered. She just didn't. Yeah. And I, but I I understood her argument, and I think it's really fascinating because it generally we go we, we read Clover's work, and like you know, for me personally, I'm going like, oh, this is great, and then I start thinking about it, mm-hmm. and I start looking at these different characters and how I think just horror films in general and the females represented it have kind of evolved in, in ways and in, in different variations, and I'm just like, well, maybe not. It will just you know, it, it, it's up for critique, and I think that's really important. So. I think there. I think you can find a balance. And I think there is a balance. Again, that's why I kind of love about horror. You, it, there's a mishmash of like all of these different kinds of things that you can kind of bring together and say, well, you know, this character has issues, even though she is the heroine, and then mm-hmm. vice versa. Right. Um, I would like to add, um, just kind of taking the long view. Um, I think, I think uh, slasher films, you know, because they feature. Uh, a heroine kind of participate, they may participate in um, the female gothic, um, what I guess uh, Ellen Moore's in um, the 1970s uh, termed, um, you know, the female gothic, that it that it's about these heroines who um, are uh, trying to break away from um, these male persecutors. And um, in Samuel Richardson's uh, novel, Pamela, it's all about Mr. B following Pamela, uh, peering at her through keyholes and, you know, just kind of, you know, threatening her with with rape and sexual assault. And um, in the end, she ends up you know her reward, her her virtue, right? Her is being rewarded by being married to this man, mm-hmm. and I think uh, so. Slasher films um, kind of do away with with that component of of the female gothic in the sense that no, these men are monstrous. Let's take them out. So mm-hmm. yes, there might be some some issues um, in the slasher genre, but 
you know, taking the long view, it, it does seem somewhat progressive, you know, if we're if we're looking right. in terms of a uh, span of a few centuries. And backtracking to a film I didn't really, I didn't include when we were talking earlier, but to perhaps the earliest version of the slasher that gets eclipsed by Psycho a lot, the movie Peeping Tom, mm-hmm. that film was... It, it features a final girl in a roundabout way. She's not the traditional final girl, but that is, I think, the ultimate example of women as disposable bodies because that is literally what he does. He films these deaths. He brings women in simply to kill them. And people, it was too much for people. I think if you made that movie now, it would seem tame by comparison to a lot of what we see. But if you look at that movie, it is the original slasher. And it's to kind of set a precedent for women being disposable at the hands of a male killer. So we see that a lot in a lot of the movies that we we talk about in terms of, especially the big three, Jason, Michael, and Freddie, they targeted women and it eventually becomes humorous almost making them even more disposable when you get into the later sequels it starts to become oh it's so funny watching these women die and it's it men too but (laughs) the women tend to be the focus of these slasher films when it comes to the murdering so there there are definitely a lot of different ways to look at that yeah, I was going to say to build on what both of you are kind of saying is um, the question was, um, are the being a disposable body part of like a side effect of being a woman in horror? And I think it's just kind of a side effect of being a woman mm, because sure. I mean, I don't want to speak for all women everywhere, but like um, I carry my keys like I'm fucking Wolverine when I'm going through a parking deck and like I feel like we have like a like we have to think like prey I guess I have a, lot a taser of the time. Like, and two always, knives in my purse yeah. <laughs> right like I mean right that's the thing yeah. right like you're uh, and I make the joke all the time like me watching like Scooby-Doo and Nancy Drew and all that when I was a kid mm-hmm. has like prevented me from having any like really truly terrible experiences in my adult life because I was like what do you mean you're splitting up what do you mean you're splitting up did you guys ever watch Scooby-Doo you never ever do that <laughs> And so, I mean, I guess part of it is like the the culture that we're in, too, is like you hope that you never get put in a situation where you have to become a final girl, mm. but you want to be the final girl yeah. if you're in you that situation. You want to be the one that lives. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, I'm not the kind so. of woman that's willing to knock my friends over so she gets killed by a slasher. But at the same right, time, I'm not you know, trip I'm, you. I'm going to try to get us all out. Right. That's why I have but, a taser and two knives in my I'm purse. Saying. I have a weapon. Everybody else is going to have a weapon right. and we're all going to get out together. Yes. So you brought up kind of the rules that everybody stay together, <laughs> which is a good a good segue into the final girl and sexuality always go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. We've talked earlier about the virginal final girl that kind of became a staple of the the trope, but it didn't start out that way. Um, Jess Bradford from Black Christmas is one of the original final girls. She was not virginal. She has a whole plot where she's revealed to be sex positive, pro-choice. Um, I consider Marion Crane to be a final girl. Uh, a lot oh, of people yeah. don't, but Lila Crane, again, she has a boyfriend. It's very, they're adults. I would not assume that they're not sleeping together. Um, Sally Hardesty is a hippie in a VW van, van driving through the middle of nowhere. I don't think she's like, like her virginity is not something that's put up for mm-hmm. a character trait. 
so it, but that all changed with Halloween. It was made very clear that Laurie Strode was a virgin. And not only that, but when her friend made her a date with a boy she really liked, she immediately freaked out and begged her to cancel the date. So it wasn't just that she was a virgin. It was that she was terrified of being around a boy. Mm. So sensible fear given. Right. Right. Yes. (laughs) I I don't, I don't begrudge her her fear, but so why did that particular trope stick? Like, why do you think that's the one that stuck with the final girls up till now? Ashley? I don't know if I'm the best person to answer this question. Because the, <laughs> the only thing I think about, because um, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking not to the contrary, but I'm thinking about Jenny from Friday 2, because mm-hmm. I think her, her, her sexual disposition was more subtext because she had a mm-hmm. relationship with Paul. But, right. but you didn't they didn't you didn't see them, you know, going through the act or anything like that. So and I, she's one of my personal favorites. So mm-hmm. it's kind of so I am really not the best person to talk about like sure. kind of sexual because it, it seems pretty black and white. But I don't but I don't want to. Well, there are shades of gray to yeah. everything for sure. Um, I get I mean. Jess predates the the trope, but it's still you know she she's an exception to the rule, and that that's another question. Like, are, do you have a favorite film that kind of challenges that stereotype? Because they they weave in and out. There are a handful that are not that adherent to the rules. Like you brought up Scream earlier. For mm-hmm. me, I think that is the worst oh, yeah. of them. I I am in a minority that does not like the Scream series. I find it offensive. The whole thing is predicated on a woman being punished over and over again for being raped. I mean, there are a lot of inherent misogynistic problems with this series and that begin with Sydney having sex and then spending four movies being punished for it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, the to me that's a movie that gets a lot of credit that it shouldn't in a, an entire series. Mm-hmm. So I again feel free to argue with me and open the argument. I wasn't going to argue with you. I was going <laughs> to um, I was going to do the real world application thing again. Yeah. Um but I think it has to do a lot with our rape culture. Why we, why the final girls have to be like, if not virgins, actually then virginal, mm-hmm. because um, there's this terrible thing that people do when someone is assaulted. They're like, "Well, you were doing this. I mean, what did you expect to happen?" Yeah. It's like, well, no, that's not how it's supposed to go. But if you don't give any of like the final girls those like those human qualities mm-hmm. of like, yes, I maybe was in the wrong place at the wrong time wearing the wrong thing. Yeah. Um, then there's like, she has to have not deserved it even a little bit in right. order to make her like the the protagonist for some reason, which is not okay. I'm, yeah. I'm agreeing with you. Yeah. No. Different yeah. I mean, that's, that's something else that now is completely irrelevant, but it was, it was a big deal in the seventies and eighties that the other thing was that the final girls usually dressed in more masculine clothing, mm-hmm. not revealing. They were very careful to hide any semblance of their sexuality. Yeah. And we, do we still see that? I don't think so. Like we, yeah. we talked earlier about the remake culture, even in the remakes now, you don't see the final girl being quite as buttoned up as she used to. It doesn't mean mm-hmm. make it any less misogynistic, but it's not adhering to those same specific standards. So, yeah, I think Western civilization um, or society, I, I, I don't know if this really answers the question, but we have a tendency to link knowledge and sex 
you know, we, we might term sex, you know, carnal knowledge. And so for some reason, um, you know, ignorance or lack of uh, knowledge about sex is kind of, I guess, celebrated. And so mm. in a roundabout way, maybe um, that might be my answer to your question that, uh, you know, maybe our society has that tendency to, you know, create these uh, female characters who don't engage in sex, uh, don't have knowledge about sex, and that they're kind of celebrated in some some way. A personal example, back when I was still being forced to go to a church school and all that crap. No offense to anybody that still does that kind of thing. But one of the things they made a big deal about was, well, if you're not having sex, you can focus on more important things like learning and like, well, why can't you do both? (laughs) It's possible to do two things at once. (laughs) And that that maybe that's the other thing is like because Lori was more worried about her book learning and worrying about those kids and focusing on the important things. She wasn't in a car getting ready to go bone her boyfriend. You know, there were all these more important things she could focus on. And that, I mean, that's a very 50s, 60s, 70s attitude towards sex. No, exactly. And I think you mentioned that scene with uh, Lori and her friends walking home from school and her friends, you know, are trying to talk her into going on the state or thinking about boys. And she says something like, boys think I'm too smart, mm-hmm. demonstrating, you know, that she's more of a bookworm, more of a tomboy. Yeah. And so I guess a lot of that like precludes her from engaging in some of the activities that her friends do. Um, Yeah, on the one hand, it makes her more aware of uh, Michael Myers' presence, but at the same time, it does seem, the films uh, seem to have a um, kind of um, exclusionary response to female sexuality. Sure. Yeah, and I, unfortunately, I I racked my brain, and except for a few, like, super indie, super bad movies that I've seen, I could not think of a single big-budget film that eschewed. I mean, I... People love it follows. I am not one of those people because for me it, it does still. Oh, no, <laughs> I'm with you. I got into a huge fight with a very famous reviewer who then blocked me for disagreeing with him. Um, but to me, it's just it's a further perpetuating have sex and die. I mean, it's it's a longer roundabout way to get there, but you're still having sex and dying, and it's still punishing the the girl for indulging her sexuality. It's a beautiful movie. Mm-hmm. Absolutely gorgeous. The clamshell e-reader drove me insane. I will never understand that. But, um... Yeah. Yeah, I had a really hard time thinking up anything that totally eschewed that. Maybe Cabin in the Woods? Slightly. I, you know what, Somewhat. I, I, I thought about that, and it's, it, I, I, I would love to talk about this more, because she's being drugged into being a different person. I could not decide if it counted, because they're all being doped up into being different personalities. So, mm-hmm. she's technically being all virginal, but that's not really who she is, and so th- there's some real interesting dissonance between the character and uh, what she really is. So, and that that movie is so divisive. I didn't really know if bringing it up yeah. would make people angry. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. I personally love it. I think it's really interesting. But So, continuing on with the skewing norms, uh, race, gender, sexual, like actual um, human sexuality, are there a lot of films that you can think of that subvert that norm of the straight white final girl? 
like the my the only ones I could come up with were uh, Alien versus Predator, Twenty Eight Days Later, um, where the final girl was the main final girl. I had a really hard time coming up with more than that. I can't okay. think of one, but it's very problematic. Um, the 2017 Netflix film, The Babysitter, where there's a final boy. But in order to make the final boy plausible in that film, they, they totally make the babysitter out to be the switch and sexual deviant and killer. It's an, o- people. It's an odd film. It's an odd film. I, was gonna, yeah. I really like uh, Samara Weaving. I think she's a great actress and I enjoyed her in the film, but it was uh, muddled in terms of its intentions. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Slightly offended by its racial representation. Of course. Yeah. Slightly is putting it nicely. Um, well, that's... <laughs> I, I, they always mess that up. Like, it's real. It seems like slasher films have no interest in representing racial or gender yeah, or LGBT jokes. issues. And, yeah, um, yeah, I'm kind of over that. Yeah, and they think they're being really clever if they let a black guy live Be- past the second person mm. that dies. Like, no, you're not making it better. You're still being an idiot. Or make really <laughs> shitty jokes. Like, I'm I saw for forever ago. I saw a movie that I had a review called. Um, knock knock and it's not the terrible Keanu Reeves movie which killed me because I love him (laughs) it was the most racist uh, anti-LGBT sexist movie I've ever seen to the point where I had to turn it off and within 10 minutes it had had four racist jokes and they thought they were being really clever and it it was nauseating (laughs) and the bro that wrote it just thought he was so funny and this is the problem with a lot of slasher films is that they think they're being funny I guess by being by challenging something but I again like this is where you run into a problem is that you sit here and you rack your brain and you can't think of a single movie that's doing anything to challenge these tropes yeah the only ones I can think of where there's a final boy is when like you were saying um, the woman is the antagonist mm-hmm. um, well Fred Freddy's we were just watching Rachel Freddy's mm-hmm. uh, the second one Freddy's revenge Nightmare on Elm Street too, and I love Jesse. I love that movie. I have no shame. That's one of my favorite nightmare movies. Um, uh, a couple of the um, Friday the Thirteenth movies have final boys. Final Destination sort of has final boys a couple times. Hostel, the first one. Evil Dead technically has a final boy, mm-hmm. but again, we're still looking at straight white males. Like we're not, there's no challenge to who's being represented. The only one I, again, the only one I could think of was Deep Blue Sea, where LL Cool J survives. And that's, that's a monster movie. It's not a slasher. It's great. I love it. But it's not a slasher film. It's a monster movie. So this topic kind of goes into what I'm going to be talking about a little bit later. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't want to bring her up because I'm going to present it. But um, basically, I did want to recommend a book. It's called um, Where No Black Woman Has Gone Before, Subversive Portrayals of Black Women in Speculative Film and Television. And she and her name is Diana Adesola Mafe. And she has written a book specifically about black women in, you know, I mean, she, two chapters, she focused on um, Sanaa Lathan, who was Alexa in Alien versus Predator. Mm-hmm. And she also focuses on Selena and 28 Days Later. Now it's, 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 it's extremely theory heavy, but at the same time, she's using those films as a template to show how, um, 
genre genre films and TV are really a great um, ground for showing women of color doing very radical things in mm-hmm. these films. So um, I, I highly recommend um, that book. And I, I've, you know, I've interviewed her and talked to her. She's really great. Um, so, but I, I, but I think Black Final Girls specifically, which is kind of my wheelhouse, are very few and far between, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I'm presenting, I want it to be a, a theoretical launching pad for hopefully more directors wanting to do it. Now, that being said, the women, specifically the women that I talk to who are filmmakers, again, like any filmmakers, it's hard to get their films made. So because they want to bring in these characters and even also the white males. I've talked to white males throughout the years who are just like, I want to have, I, you know, not for characters, characterization but because I I want to see the world reflected in my films they'll go to big studios and they're like well how are we going to sell four black women in a horror film so they go through that too and that's a problem and I don't know how to rectify it Um, hopefully things will change over time but that's one of the very simplistic reasons as to why we don't get to see the diversity in horror films especially in Final Girls that we would like to see possibly this is just a, a real world example of what you were talking about in this studio system. Scott Derrickson, who directed Doctor Strange, he works with Lexi Alexander a lot, who directed uh, Punisher Warzone, and he's been trying to help her get more of her stuff made. They took a show to a large, like a big name studio, and they told them, oh, we have enough TV shows with Muslims as lead characters. We don't want any more. Like, name three shows with Muslims as lead characters off the top of your head. I can think of one. Which one? uh, The Punisher on TV or on Netflix. It's not even on TV. Like, it's on Netflix. Like, that's the first one that came off off the top of my head. And this is the battle you fight. Like, even if you write your script to be inclusive, the first thing that a major studio is going to do is be like, white people, straight people. We don't take this gay stuff out. We don't want any of this. They just don't want to deal with it. And they can wave that flag all they want about being inclusive and it's it's all bullshit (laughs) yeah i was gonna say and don't quote me on this um it was from an interview that i think is in is in some horror podcasts archives but basically met mark Patton, who is the star of nightmare Mm -hmm. 2 was kind of talking about just specifically the uh the pool party scene if everyone remembers that i think the director what just wanted just 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 it to be racially di- racially diverse and i don't know if it was bob shay i forget exactly who said but they were like no it's going to be all white and they're like but no i want it to like look like you know i want asians blacks whatever and they just decided not to so you're right they're making these decisions yeah. that they think are beneficial but they're just kind of just whitewashing uh films that want the intent of you know again reflecting the real world essentially and I, I do think that the battle is even worse for women. Like when you're trying to write women and you're trying to write powerful women that are the lead of your film, it's it's even harder to get them to make them diverse in any way because it's hard enough to get somebody to take a script that has women in the lead. And the last thing they want is a woman that isn't straight and white because it's a lot easier to sell that. Mm-hmm. And I, that's that's the battle you face when you're trying to get a lot of these movies made, especially with big budget studios. Which Another good segue, who's writing these final girls? Are they any better off when they're written by women? Uh, are there men that have written good final girls? Like who can you think of in terms of your favorite final girls that were written by women? 
And is it that difficult? <laughs> I mean, technically, uh, I would have to say Buffy Summers. I mean, if that counts, um, at least from the the TV series, uh, Joss mm-hmm. Whedon, um, he, in an interview, he said that he wanted to kind of, uh, I don't know, change the trope of of the blonde girl running down the alley and and being attacked you know he said well what would happen if she turned around and fought the monster so i mean technically well is she really a final girl since each uh slayer ends up dying to kind of you know create the next slayer but Mm -hmm. it does seem a little bit more empowering than some of the other final girls that we've talked about right um but then i don't know um uh, she also engages in sex, and then her boyfriend turns into yeah. an evil monster. So I don't know. It, it's, it's hard to say. It's. I mean, you can find something problematic in anything. Joss Whedon himself has become incredibly of problematic. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a never-ending cycle of, of struggling with your... Like, there's a whole website called Your Faves Are Problematic. <laughs> I don't recommend looking into it unless you want your heart broken. It hurts. It hurts yeah. bad. So it... You know, it, it's hard to find something that's across the board fine. You know, like, I can watch this and feel great about it. Like, there's always somebody involved that's going to break your heart. Like, personally, like, two, the two that I came up with off the top of my head written by women were um, Needy and Jennifer's Body. I think uh, there was a really interesting story there where at least the female friendship was kind of the focal point of that and instead of being destroyed and miserable at the end she walked away super empowered she walked away not like you think that it's going to end with her in an institution but that is not how it ends at all if you keep sticking it out through the credits Mm -hmm. so another one is Bridget from Ginger Snaps also written by a woman um You know, you have two women that you think could be the final girl. Obviously, one has to die, but the one that survives really ends up empowered and manages to get through a sequel. So it's I think it's inevitably always different when a woman writes it. Uh, There's just a different perception of the woman than what you get with a man. Agreed. <laughs> Do you have a favorite? Like that was? Can you think of one written by a woman a or final girl? I have a mm-hmm. favorite final girl. She was not written by a woman. Oh shoot! Um, again, take a minute. Is, we'll wrap no, up with that anyway. Because so. it's gonna it's gonna bleed into my presentation, okay. and I kind of want to. Um, but like to keep people on their toes a little bit. But That's I fair. will I will um, mention one of my favorite final girls, which is Alice from A Nightmare on Elm Street Four, the Dream Master, mm-hmm. and um, and this is something long story short this is one of those movies I grew up loving and watched as a kid and watched in my room and my little like box it was the Friday night movie on Philly 57 I'm from Philadelphia <laughs> um, and so she was she was always fascinating to me because I was a shy like timid girl too and then to see somebody go through this transformation throughout the film I mean I spent years kind of obsessing over this film and then one day I was able to kind of just put my thoughts in paper and I wrote this really extensive essay about her arc is so fascinating to watch because it, it they because Nightmare 4 didn't ha- really have a script like Rachel said if you were at her talk and you know they and I think um, 
was his name? Rennie Harlan, the director, worked with a lot of visuals. And so a lot of her arc was based on what you saw vis- visually with her about like when she lost a friend, you know, there was the, the mirror that she would not see her reflection in. And she would take a picture of that friend who just died off of it. And she would see a little piece of herself each and every time. And then she she had this, albeit cheesy, but really like interesting and powerful transformation. And when you're six years old, you think that's the coolest thing in the world to watch. And so and it's always stuck with me. And I, I think I always kind of cape for that because um, I just I just really liked that full arc that she had and she was able to de- defeat Freddy in this very abstract mystical way but I think it's still it, it's something I would show my six year old niece you know so she's one nice. of my favorites well, you kicked us off so I was going to wrap up with who is your favorite final girl total so let's I, it's fine no judgment <laughs> I have to say Sydney Prescott I mean I agree with you I agree that you know right she calls attention to the trope um, she says at one point in, in Scream um, the 1996 original that uh, you know that these films are all about big breasted women running upstairs when they should be running out the door and right after she says that what does she do when she's attacked she runs up the stairs right yes but she also punches people in the face. And at the end of the film, she doesn't need a Dr. Loomis coming and saving her. She shoots uh, the killer and says, you know, not in my movie, right? Right. When Randy says, oh, this is the time when the killer comes back for one last scare. She's like, not in my movie. Mm. And I'm a kid from the 90s, so that left a pretty big impression on me. So I have to say, yes, maybe not the perfect final girl. Sure. Interesting uh, revision. Nostalgia is a big part of why we like the things we like. I I remembered a second one that I'm going to add on, which is very nostalgia-based and not slasher, so it's a cheat, but... I'm not sure either of mine are slasher. It's all right. Okay. This is my podcast. Do what you want. It's okay with you? (laughs) It's fine. Okay. Um, I like Sue Snell and Carrie. She's a great one. I like her a lot because that movie um, deals a lot with... Um, adolescent girlhood mm-hmm. and trying to be a grown up and it not really looking the way that you thought it was going to mm-hmm. and I like um, Sue also because she she feels like a real person who did something bad and then is trying to atone for it and doesn't really get it right like she tries to remove a stain and makes a bigger stain like that and I, right. I like that it's I mean of course it's not a realistic movie but that 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 kind of <laughs> trying to do something good and then making it worse is right. very relatable sort of feeling to me. And then this is also not a, a slasher either, kind of. Um, but Thomason from The Witch, uh, for similar reasons, because she's backed into a corner and then she kind of, like you said, turns around and faces the monster and she's like, talk to me. What's up? You wanted my attention. You have it. What do you want me to do? And then he doesn't. And then she's like, really? And then, um, and then it kind of, um, I, I like, I like that because it, they, it's a very difficult ending. And, um, also like you said, with, um, Sally in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like neither of them are okay. Right. After they survive. Like you, I get the feeling at the end of both of those movies that like, there's another movie just about mm-hmm. like, well, okay. So you survived. What is that like now? Right. Which is, I think, where the real story is most of the time. There's actually a book, that uh, a novel, I'm pretty sure it's called Final Girl, that is about that. It's the aftermath. And there's actually a movie that's about the same thing. I, people really tap that. Not well, though, but the book is good. Um, 
So I've been talking about Jess Bradford all day, so I'm going to move on to my non-slasher one, which is uh, Amanda Bierce as Amy in Fright Night. I love her arc so much. I love that she gets that sexy dance scene with Chris Sarandon. I saw that movie for the first time when I was six, and I had my sexual awakening at six years old because I saw that movie, and I've been in love with him ever since. And I love that she gets that vampire moment where she's just completely evil and you know she's kind of a wimp in the beginning but she slowly becomes more and more this like powerful woman and by the time the movie ends she's like she's totally in control of herself I just think it's a really great arc for a final girl especially in a movie where really only one person dies and even he doesn't die so it's kind of like a really interesting approach to a final girl in a movie where she's She's really the sexual one. She's the one that's always pressuring Charlie to have sex. Like, it's a completely different approach to that character. And I think it's just a really great subversion of what we normally saw, especially in the 80s. I don't think she gets enough credit for what a cool character she was. So awesome. Thank you so much for doing this, ladies. Yeah, yeah everyone thank you was for so great. Us. This was super fun. Yeah. So we'll we'll do what we normally do. I'm gonna start at the end and let you kinda talk about where people can find information about you and Okay. Um well Again, my name is Michelle Mastro. I'm a graduate student at uh, Indiana University Bloomington. Um, I don't have any kind of websites or anything to direct people to, but um, my profile is available on the English department's websites um, for Indiana University Bloomington. So if anybody would like to reach me with any other questions, um, I would love to engage in a dialogue that extends beyond the conference. So you know, please do contact me. Awesome. Same. <laughs> no um, Twitter, no nothing. Yeah, no, I do. Okay. Um, I had, I, but I just was like, if any, yeah, I, want, I can talk about, I can talk forever. So yes, <laughs> if you want to keep talking, let's keep talking. Um, I'm Mary Kay McBrayer, by the way. My website is Mary Kay McBrayer. Dot com. Um, and I also have the podcast that I mentioned before, Everything Trying to Kill You, which is super. We have a lot of fun doing that. And your Twitter? So thank you. Um, it, I think it's MK McBrayer. I will share it later because okay. I have you. Thank you. Ashley? Uh, I'm Ashley. Uh, I am a Temple University alumni twice over. I have a master's in liberal arts. Uh, so all of that started Graveyard Shift Sisters. Well, it helped. Um, again, uh, you can find all of the work, including work from other contributing writers, which I'm eternally grateful for, especially the ones who focus on fiction and, fi and black women fiction writers. Um, it's graveyardshiftsisters.com. I am way too much on Twitter. So I'm always there at Graveyard Sister. And then there's um, other ports there where you can find the other places I am on social media as far as just kind of building the scholarship of, um, of black women in horror specifically. Yeah. And I am, as always, at Lenny Lou Who. You can find me on Twitter. You can find The Horror Honeys at thehorrorhoneys.com, Belladonna Magazine. The Horror Honeys podcast is on iTunes and SoundCloud. And thank you again, everybody, so much for joining us. This has been so much fun. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Have a great rest of the day at the conference, ladies. And thank you to everyone in the audience Yay. for joining. You guys have been thank awesome. Thank you for coming. Yay. Oh.